For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Evening to you, Hijab. How are you today? Evening, man. I'm oh, just come back from Birmingham. Absolutely honoured to be the first person. I'm really happy to see your setup and your new jugger that you've got with your logo on it and your kapu jada kapu. It's brilliant. I think it's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, the, the merchant. I'm really impressed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. If I already told you I was in that cup, uh, you know, you, you probably think think to start. Uh, I know. You know. I know. I know. So. Before I start, yeah, I yes, want you, sure. at this moment in time, yeah, I've just sent out a tweet of saying that you should be replacing Piers Morgan on Good Morning Britain. If you get that gig, I'm definitely taking a cut out of that. No problem, man. I'll give you commission or whatever they're going to pay me, which will probably be deal, Bunny. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure I'm not going to get the gig. But uh, uh, it's, you know, it's... Uh, that's the way it goes in presenting. Like today you're a hero and tomorrow you're a zero. And uh, I've been doing it for a long time, as you know. And it is the thing. You've got to watch what you say. You've got to be careful, you know, and there's a lot of publicity stunts. But, you know, a, a, a fair section of people, I don't think they'll miss Piers Morgan on GMB that much. And that, that seems to be the overall reaction from what I'm reading on my sort of timeline. But yeah, no, cheers for nominating me. But we have to change the name from Good Morning Britain to Satsuri Gal Britain. <laughs> so, you know, when you, you talk about like that line in terms of where to kind of pitch it. I think I would I think everybody would kind of agree that you, you're definitely an individual <clears throat> who sort of gets the the tone right, especially from the Punjabi community or the Desi community, the any way that you want to speak about it. He's like, how how did that come about for you to you know Piers jumps and dances on the line and I and I think sometimes you do as well but I think there's still a little bit of uh, uh, a bit of respect still in in, in your in your um, in your status and things like that but how do, how do you find um, you know what's good and what's um, and what's not? Do you know what I I found out what's good and what's not through experience. I'm not a TV presenter. I'm not a trained TV presenter. That that only came out one day when someone put me in front of a TV camera and opened up the phone lines and said, answer the questions. That's literally how it happened. I mean, so from then, you know, I've done a lot of presenting. I've done a lot of event hosting. I'm not trained for this, man. I'm a lawyer. 
So people yeah. seem to forget that that I'm just I'm, I'm a guy trained in law, solving legal legal problems. And so I'm just a uh, that's what I am. But I you know I as when I started becoming a guest on someone on someone's show, I just, um, like a radio show. My first radio show was um I'll tell you what it was. It was um in you say Raj Radio. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Right. So it was at Stratford Road, and there were two guys uh, from Stratford Road Godara doing a show. One was Raj Kang, who helps organise right. the Birmingham Nagarkirtan and uh, the Millas, uh, the and the other one was a guy called Jatinda from Warsaw. And what happened? They, I was looking for a job at the time, and I was, you know, and I used to go to that Stratford Road Godara a lot. I used to live on Stratford Road above Mushtaks. Above the post office, oh. next to Mushtaq. So that's so, that's like halfway down, isn't it? Around there or towards the? That's in the middle, yeah. In the middle, yeah. 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 So I'm, I've always been quite attached to Birmingham, like from the start. So and in them days, there were no sat navs and all that. We used to bus it yeah. and drive our way around everywhere. So I used to know all the roads and from then. But um, yeah, so Jatinda and Raj just said, "Look, can you come and just talk about law one day on our show?" They had a 28-day radio license, and it's called Radio Nankana. And uh, it used to run uh, from that Gordwara, and Morn Singh was the Pradhan at the time. So I said, yeah, all right, I'll come and talk about it. And what happened was, I, I went there, and as soon as I started talking about like what I do in immigration, people started calling up, all their lines started flashing. And they mm. go, this is unusual. We've never had our lines flash like this. And I said, to be honest, I don't even know what's going on. And they said, well, let's answer the call. And then people started asking questions. And because I'd swallowed like the Bible on immigration, I just knew the answers off by hand in Punjabi. And I was just yeah. like, and we spent the whole show not talking about me or what I do, just answering questions for an hour. And they said, why don't you come and do it every week? And I was like, all right, I'll come and do it every week. So, yeah, um, I did that. And that was my first experience of an actual radio show. So it was on a 28-day radio license. And we was only local going to the community of Spark Hill and uh, Hall Green and, yep. you know, um, uh, Sparkbrook, that sort of areas, Ladypool Road. And uh, because the transmitter wasn't that high, and I finally <laughs> So it's only about a dog meal the radius. But I uh, did it, got a good response. And from then on, I went, you know, to places like um, uh, Lashkara, when Lashkara TV was on, Radio XL. I was there for quite a while. And... Uh, I did XL. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. I was the. Uh, yeah. I think after it was Cash and Polly used to do the Pongra show. And then um, okay. Cash left. And I was at uni at the time at Nottingham. And um, I basically found this little, little, little pathway where I used to have this little section where I used to be like presented alongside with, with Polly. And I used to say, Oh, these yeah. are the upcoming gigs. So I, the promoters yeah. used to say to me, like, Listen, look, if you mention on Saturday, we'll, we'll bring you and like whoever you want in as like a VIP. So yeah. it was easy for me because every week I was doing it, walking in like that. I was like a, like a superstar. And uh, sometimes the promoters didn't even hear me actually say it and they used to just let me in. So, you know, like, uh, you know, Radio XR, you know, it was a bit of a, let's say diplomatically, it was a very, um, uh, I think the word is, it was strange an environment. Yes, that's the way That's exactly what I would say. I used to, so, uh, a guy called Vicky used to present my show, Vicky yeah, Gill. Vicky Gill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. So, lovely chap. 
So he's the only per- he's the only person who ever said to me, "Oh, uh, and I still remember, I still remember it to this day." He goes to me, walks in into the studio, and he goes, "Beautiful voice." And I was like, I looked at Polly. I said, "Listen, he ain't talking about me. I got a Brummie accent. I sound terrible." And he was looking at me dead in the eyes. Says, "I got a beautiful voice." Still to this day, I say that to my wife, and uh, I, I can't disagree. tell you the answer. She <laughs> politely disagrees. Maybe not that politely. So you have Vicky's <laughs> show? Yeah, yeah, Vicky's show for a long time. So we did that for about at least a couple of years, me and Vicky, and that became a big success. Then I started MATV in 2007 on the TV um, after my stint with Lashkara. And then in 2009, I got a phone call from uh, Sonia Diol, who used to present at the BBC Asian Network. I said, I want you on the show. Um, to talk about like a uh, land in India, so I said, "All right." I went on there, did the show, was really successful. The next week, the Nahal show phoned me up on the BBC. They said, and they literally said, "Onu chadda, Sonia, Sonia, nu, tu hetera apne aala naari London ji apna, tum varmingam kitho jaunga show karn." So uh, I said, "You know what? You're saving me a journey. You're saving me a journey." <laughs> But no, Sonia was really cool about it. And yeah. uh, then I did Nihal with Nihal until Nihal left. And, and I still do the show. And I think I'm one of the longest running guests ever I think they've had on. So I've been on there for like since 2009. So I've been on the BBC Asian Network every, every month, once a month. And, uh, you know, I've seen presenters come and go. Even when Nihal went and they were recruiting for a new presenter, they said, Hajab, we can't think of anyone to plug the gap for a few weeks, at least till the new year. And that's going to take us time. So they said, do we present together? So then I took over in the house show for four weeks over the Christmas period and then uh, did the show. And then they said, can you do this full time? And I said, listen, all of Punjab is going to get angry with me if I decide to quit my job and do this full time. I just can't handle it, Anna. And uh, so um, I, I said, look, I'm, I'm happy being a guest and uh, I'm an opinionated person. I don't want to become that person who then can't say anything and like, has to watch what he says and everywhere. And, you know, I said, I'm known for my forthright views. And I've always said that, look, the only thing I have really is my voice and my freedom to use that. And I don't want any restrictions placed on that. That's the same reason why I don't become a politician. People have said to politics, which are yeah, councillor Banja, you could run for parliament. And mm. I said, no, because then I'll have to toe the party line and agree with it, what everyone says, even if I think it's wrong. So, Hannah, mm. so even if they said like, then I would, otherwise I wouldn't have much a career. I'd just sit on a back bench. So I'm not going to, I said, I'd rather use my voice to just say what, how I feel. I don't think you know this, by the way, because it, um, but you know when you were going for your um, when they were trying to get you to do it full time I think when you presented it oh. after Nahal you had some test interviews <clears throat> I, I was uh, I was one of your guests that you that they you, they test you tested you were, you were I remember you yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you I remember? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I met you there, of course. Yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, uh, I, I, I kind of knew, I thought, I said, my, like my dad, you know, the classic, you know, just basically just forwarding on everything. Anytime when I think, I think there's a, a, I'm trying to get to the point really, which is, 
I think there's a few people, especially who rode the crest of the wave of kind of like social media and really took it on board and took a few risks. And, you know, the, the notion of viral. Um, and I think you yourself became one of those people who was actually really straight talking, relate to any generation, had that comedic effect, had that humour one, and it still had the conviction of the actual message within there. And I, I remember when you had your... Um, uh, and I actually watched it for this again, which when you had your your health issue, and you know, it was a yeah. twenty minute. When I had my heart attack. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, this yeah. how it is. And um, when you came across and do that, did you the feedback from that? You know, your experience of saying that you've been on these this TV, the radio, you've been on different formats. The response back to that video. You know, how was it? Because I was always trying to find up the follow-up video for that. Because I think you were saying at the time you were going to do a se- several about it. You know, what, what what was that like? I'll tell you how that happened. Yeah? And I'll tell you how the whole scenario happened. Um, I came home on a Tuesday, like it is today, from West yeah. Brom. And there's a jacket potato stand at West Brom in the town centre. Everyone knows where it is. If not, yeah, yeah, yeah. check it out. But you, you, yeah, you, uh, be careful that, what you're eating. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. I was right, with cheese and beans, and I came home Tuesday night, and I just felt, you know, as if it's the food sits there on your chest and it hasn't digested properly. And I thought, all oh, right, just hasn't digested. So then the next morning, I got up and I thought, I know why it hasn't digested. You haven't been to the gym for about like three weeks, and I so I picked my saman up, went to the gym, did a five k run, had a sauna and a steam. Felt better, and I thought, yeah, yes, it's much better. But Wednesday evening, I came back and had the same sort of feeling. And I told mum, and as mums do, they're enlarged to everything is, we're going to jabila, have a cup of tea. And I thought, what? And I thought, you're right, okay, I'll have a cup of tea. In the morning on Thursdays, I do the school runs. So just yeah. as I was about to drop my daughter off, um, I said to my mum, I said, you know what, I still, my mum actually said to me, she goes, you still got that chest sort of a pain thing. That acid sort of thing. And I said, yeah, I think it's acid. She goes, why don't you go to the hospital? And it's a Thursday morning. No one's going to be there. You'll be out by a couple of hours. So I thought, that's all right. Dropped my daughter off. Drove into the hospital. Fit as a fiddle. I said, oh, I've got a bit of acid and a bit of chest pain. And they go, all right, we'll put you in a machine. Um, they put me on an ECG. They said, no, it looks all right. It's probably just acid. But because you said chest pain, we've got to do your bloods. When the bloods came back in about half an hour, I was laying there, I could see everything was kicking off. Mm. And they started mentioning a few words and I started Googling them. And then they said, I said, what's the matter? They go, there's something wrong with your heart. And I said, well, you better fix it because I've got to pick my daughter up at 2.30. They said, sit down, son. You ain't going nowhere. You're having a heart attack and you've been having one for two days. If you hadn't walked in today and given it 12 hours, you would have been like laying down, collapsed in the street somewhere. And as soon as they said that, I didn't know what to think. I just thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. I phoned my dad. I phoned my mum. I said, fucking, this is what's going on. Pardon the language. I said, this is what's going on. And I, I said, I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm going to die. And they said, we've got to take you into surgery now. Now. <sighs> Mate, I'm not joking. My world turned to zero. Yeah, at that time, I had a one-year-old. Mm. and a six-year-old yeah? yeah like right so my so my world was turned to zero all i could think about and my only prayer i remember i was on the operating table 
was like, Rabba, let me see the sunrise tomorrow. Let me see that. My mum was in pieces. So I tried to avoid, before I went into operation, I tried to WhatsApp my mum and I WhatsApped her on video and I couldn't get any words out because I didn't know what to say. So I just looked at her and started crying and she just looked at me and started crying. And I remember for about 10 minutes, we just looked at each other and crying without saying anything. Then I had to turn the phone off. And that was the hardest conversation I've ever had without having even said a word. Mm. So luckily for me, I was saved. And it was then when I was in hospital and the day I was getting discharged that I made that video because I had had all of that pressure on me, all of these thoughts. Believe me, hospital on your own is a lot of time to think. You have a lot of time to think about your life and reevaluate your life. And I made that video and I thought, you know what? I've got to tell all of these lads out there who are going to the pub regularly, who are carbying, you know, like I've done. Or, or, you know, not or neglecting their health or, you know, thinking, oh, don't worry about it, who are perhaps in their 30s and 40s and we're not 21 anymore mm. and we're not working out or doing whatever. I've got to tell them, look, that this has happened to me. You need to watch yourselves. And that's exactly what I did. I did. I did not plan that. It was off the cuff just as I was about to leave. I got someone to hold my phone and they recorded the interview and I just did it and I just put it out there. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to put it out there. But the response was amazing. It was like amazing. And I'm at, like the response was, you know, thank God for your honesty. I remember a week after I started getting messages from people saying, thanks, your video saved our dad's life. And I'm like, what do you mean saved our dad's life? One said he was coming home from a wedding. A guy was coming home from a wedding and his dad said, I'm going to just be in Yahunda. And, I, and he goes, all I remembered was what happened in your video. And he goes, I took him straight to Bristol Hospital. And he goes, um, they said, look, you know, you're having a heart attack. You need to be stented straight away. So they stented him. And he goes, you literally saved um, my dad's life. And I had about four or five um, messages like that. I also had messages from people who said, you know what, you're lucky. My brother went to hospital with the same thing, but he died in the waiting room while waiting to be seen. Now, or, you know, like my dad went to sleep and he never woke up and he had exactly what you did. So it was two like ends of the spectrum and the response was amazing. But at the end of the day, what I just said was the truth. That's what happened to me. And uh, I just don't want that happening to anyone else, especially people who got young kids. And, um, you know, so it was, it really, you know, that really shook me and it really sort of got me to think about myself and, also got me to like sit down with people and talk to them as well. I say to a lot of people, look, we need to calm our stuff down, man. We need to calm our shit down and we need to know that. Mm. Uh, you might remember something and I said the video, I said, you know, people always say, I say, always say, what will you do for your kids? And you say, you know what, I'd die for my kids. I'd take a bullet for my kids. But I realized that day, I don't want to die for my kids. I want to live for them. I want to live, I want to be around. I want to see them, you know, why would you want to die for my kids when you've got a choice to live for them? So this is what I do now. I live for my kids. I try and keep healthy. This lockdown hasn't been good, but the other two were quite good. But, yeah. you know, the weather stops you going out and walking and stuff like that. But, yeah, I'll be back by the summer in good shape and hopefully, you know, and just tell everyone, just look after yourself, man, because it literally was a drop-dead moment. Imagine, one, imagine you as you are now and you just walk in with a, like a... 
I guess, yeah, yeah. And they say, Baya, you're having a heart attack. You could be dead in 12 hours, or you might not come out of this surgery alive. I have to sign all the paperwork that you sign, that, uh, you know, before you have an operation, that if I die and blah, blah, blah. And my kids were at school. I never got to even see my kids. And the worst part, I think, I remember the worst day after my operation was when my daughter Cushy came to see me in hospital. And I had 20 tubes sticking out of my body. And that was a day after the operation. And I couldn't even talk properly. I was groggy. I had tubes in my mouth. And she looked at me and she said, I need to go. I don't want to be here. It's only like a six-year-old saying mm. I don't. And I realized that I was a hero. And no one can see their hero like that, yeah. battered and at death's door. So that really, really shook me up mentally. That really shook me mentally. <clears throat> and then I, that's, and after that I made the video, I thought, I have to get all of these feelings out of my system before they stay with me and I'd start developing mental health issues. And uh, so I did that video. And that video for me was my outlet of getting it all out of my system. I think you know it was... I think you probably get it now, especially, you know, when there's a, a really, um, you know, when you get a video, if you get it in different WhatsApp groups, you know, it's doing the rounds, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I get them sent to me. Know, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Look at this. I, 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 get my own, I get my own video sent to me saying, buddy, have you seen this? And I think, of course I've seen it. I've made it. I've done it. I made it. No, no, watch it properly. And I'm like, what are you guys on? Yeah. Because it, it, it Normally, you'll get somebody who crack a joke on, uh, you know, you have certain WhatsApp yeah. groups which are funny, and so, but it was deadly serious. And I think, um, I, I think it was at that point that, you know, people kind of, there's two ways, isn't it, in terms of like, you know, hearing about it and you put it to the side or you take action. And I, I, I remember after that, you, you started this big transformation in terms of your, your health and your appearance and things yeah. like that. Is it, and, um, you know, how difficult was it? I know you've got the motivation there. You've, well, some people even get to this stage and, and it still wouldn't be enough to motivate. What, how, did, how did you use that motivation to make the change? Well, I just used that motivation to realise I've got to live longer. Mm. I just realised, um, you know, I, this is what I need to do. I need to make the changes. I can't go mix grilling every day. Before that, my lifestyle used to be, and I think everybody knew what my lifestyle used to be. I used to be out every night with singers, with artists, blah, 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 even with my mates, with all my, you know, people, people who I thought were my mates at the time, but they didn't even come and see me in hospital. Even afterwards, they still haven't bothered to come and see how I am. But I used to go and eat and drink every night at a local restaurant. They loved me there. They used to have lock-ins there. And then when you start eating a mixed grill, the bottle comes out. So then, you know, you have a few drinks and it used to turn into that and then, two o'clock in the morning and I just thought you can't do this and that just took its toll that took its toll and um, now I know what the problem is now I'm thinking you know what I can still have a good time without doing all that I can say no you know I can because I'm doing it for my health at the, how at did the you, bottom how line did you start so what I mean is like you know what was your first move after you've come back home you've you, you know yeah. you've, you've you've got it from there uh, you, you've yeah. obviously you've come out of the hospital, all yeah. these the condition. Yeah. Your first move? My first move was chucking out all the gun in my fridge. All the gun, the food that I had in my fridge, all the diet drinks and all that, uh, soft drinks, chucked them all out. All the booze are locked away. Yeah. So I put all of that away, 
all of the fried stuff I cut out and I just started getting some nice stuff and start eating and it was mate it tasted horrible <laughs> it's a guy like he's grown up on McDonald's and KFCs and all of that yeah I like fast food yeah I, wor I worked then in the hub of Southall where samosas curries naans mm. tikkas kebabs yashole all of this is like a out of you know a fingertip away I think a click of a finger you you can have it delivered to you yeah and so I I was there and um, I just I did all of that and then I thought you know what I'm going to go gym so I went gym a lot and I uh, started uh, running a lot, looking after myself. I got mm -hmm. myself a PT. Um, wasn't great, but I knew, the thing was, I knew what to do. Mm. Even with someone like yourself, even with all the lads at home, we know what needs to be done. Yeah. It's just a matter of doing it. And I, you know the exercises to do. They're only the basic ones, yeah? The, you know, you do the weights and you do the cardio. Yeah, you know what to do. And then you, can only, you, can, you don't even have to do it for three hours. You can do it for an hour, yeah? And then just... But, Exercise is only about 20% of it. 80% is what you put in your gob of the food. And that was the hardest thing for me to control. That was the hardest yeah. thing. And even now, I still slip out of that. And then I have to pull myself back in. I started this thing called intermittent fasting now. Yeah. So where you have a window to eat in, and then you have to fast for the rest of it. Like 16 hours will be the fasting time. And then you're in the eight-hour window, and you can change it up. So that, I find, helps me control me. But the one thing I've really found hard is discipline. And it's a matter of controlling the mind. And I found that to be really hard. And that's when you find out how strong-willed you are and how weak-willed you are. And I've just been trying to toughen my mind. And I'm still on that journey, Ricky. So I'm still on that journey. My weight still balloons. And I still have get up at night thinking I don't look good. And tomorrow I'm going to start another day. Yeah. So it's it, it's one of these ongoing battles, I think. And it's something that I have problems with, but I'm dealing with it. You know, I've got to realize that I've got to minimize the risks now. I've got to take my medicine on time. I've cut, tried to cut out all the bad things that I have. I drink a lot of water. And mm. so it, these are the sort of things that I made that was a change, really. You said uh, you don't look good. What, what did you mean? You said I, like I you, was that because I, was that because of uh, TV and you were coming on there? You didn't like your appearance, or was uh, it something more than that? Like, yeah, I just felt like, mate, you're on TV. You don't look like a TV guy, Anna. And that's <laughs> then I realized, and then yeah, and then I realized, yeah, that I'm not a TV guy. That's why you don't look good. You haven't spent your whole life trying to be on TV. Because if you did, you'd look like a supermodel. You'd look like a Hrithik Roshan or Akshay Kumar or something. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I look like I'm look like Amrish Puri and Shakti Kapoor because you're not a TV guy, bro. So then, but it's just some things you're happy with and some things you're not. And I just don't think I was happy with my weight at the time. And I still aren't, if I'll be totally honest with you. But there's something, I can't just sit there and moan about it until I do something about it. It's not going to change. So I decided to try and do something about it. And that, that that's what it was. And it's... Everyone from the outside looks as if they're perfect, they're happy, you know, but everyone is battling their own battle somewhere. And I think for me, that is my battle to, uh, to battle with my um, uh, weight. But if someone else says it, I don't take that to heart. But I take mm. my own criticism very seriously. So mm. I don't take other people's criticism very seriously because I have to value their opinion first. And I, I, the people whose opinion I value, I take their criticism on board. But 
I always have a thing about, you know, don't take constructive criticism from people who haven't constructed anything. So for me, it's like, um, and I'm sure you get it as well. We all get it at some point in our life. We get people who try and criticize what we do without knowing us, without following our work, without knowing what we do. And uh, you look at it. And at first, I remember when I did my first TV shows, hmm. I used to read all the comments on YouTube. And, I, and it used to bug me. And I used to keep me up at night. This thing, and he doesn't even know, you know, and these people saying that. Then I realized, you've got to ignore this. And I, you have got to ignore this because this will get inside your head. So ever since that, I've ignored it. And I take constructive criticism on board, um, you know, from intelligent people, from guys who I know have no malice. Yeah. But the, the hate field stuff, I just ignored it. And to be honest, if you ignore it, it just goes away. People get bored of that. The trolls with no faces, no names, no followers. Like, it's like, bro, who are you tweeting that to? Like, three followers. Yeah, is, is, that, is that it? So I, I just don't really take that criticism on, on board anymore. Now I've decided it's much easier to use the block and delete button. That's what it's there for. <laughs> so I don't you know. I never used it. And now it, I, I, I use it. All the time, and and, and um, yeah, I don't. To be fair, I don't get a uh, chance to use it now because I think people know that if we're going to try it on with him, they're going to get it back. So you know, they're like, okay, he's going to get it back. And plus, you know, the, the way I see it is like, okay, so if someone says to me, "Oh, I don't like you. I don't like this. I don't like what you said," and I said, "But your mum and dad's there. Like, ask them who do they like her job." I'll tell you once what happened to me at a wedding. So I went to the wedding and uh, this guy came up to me and he goes, Oh, but you see Toria Rude Bowl there, to see Hana Eddani got there, to see Akar there, say any bowl there, yeah? Guy said that to me. Yeah. I said, Oh, sorry, but you don't know what you His wife comes running over. She goes, But you ain't a dog, to see Sardinal photo. She goes, It's not a camera here. And I looked at him. And I said, really, what can I do? Hon? Ben, did you get your up and So his whole family took a photo. His mum and dad were so happy to meet me. And then obviously I didn't recite that in front of his mum and dad, but I just looked at him and I said, really, bro? And I said, no one forces you to. And so uh, that's just the way it is. I think I'm like, uh, I know I'm loved by a lot of elders because I do look out for them. And I do, I've got, I live with my parents and I imagine them to be like myself. A lot of the kids love me, a lot of youngsters love me because I think they just love my one-liners and they just watch it for the comedy issue. And a lot of people uh, like yourself love me because for some reason you lot think I talk sense and I'm balanced and uh, I, the way I say things, I think, takes an edge off what I say. At the same time, I get my message across and you'll always remember it. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think the, the, the face the mask on, the face mask on. Uh, yeah. You know, you, <laughs> you know, yeah, come on, if uh, if you got female sending it around, do you know what I mean? So I thought, yeah. oh, because I, you know, I at the time um, I was quite heavily involved in sort of all that COVID, you know, within the, with the whole COVID kind of dissemination of course, of information course. and stuff, yeah. and then um, you know there was a real gap in terms of of. Uh, getting information to uh, South Asian communities just in general. 
I think when you started doing that translation stuff, it was just such a, a, we were, I think we need to take a real good look in terms of our anchors. And what I mean by anchors are those support networks, those support individuals who are creditable in the community. When if somebody, if there's a topic that you know you're going to get the correct information. And I think when you look around it, and you see some of the same characters who who people were using, and you're just like, look, I don't really rate that person. That I don't really fine, care. Yeah. I, you know, you know, you know, blah de blah. I think when you started it, it made it a lot, lot easier to send that information out because you were speaking directly to to those elders. Yeah, I think um, you know, I started saying that in March. So I remember I came back from India, and I saw how at India Airport they were very prepared, but at the UK. They just opened me, like, welcomed me with open arms. And I thought, this is going to get bad. And so as soon as the numbers started going up in the deaths, I just realized, look, we need to keep our elders safe. And I, and then I realized that the elders weren't listening. So all the messages I got from people like Ali were like, my mom and dad won't listen. They don't listen to her job. You've got to say something. You're the guy that they listen to on a Friday. So then I started saying something and I did a few videos. I don't see the face mask one. But every week since then, I've replaced my immigration show with 80% of COVID information about what's happening about even uh, last week, the week before I just did the whole roadmap and this is how it's going and, you know, stay safe. And I think the feedback I got from people was like, um, thanks Ajak, because you got through to our parents when perhaps we couldn't and that you actually got through to them and they sat there and listened to you, the way you explained it. And I think I've just got that rapport with people's parents and also I'm blessed because I don't see them as like my audience. Those same parents have been watching my show for 13 years, since yeah. 2007. They know who her job is, is, whether her job's credible or not. You know, anyone who's not that credible cannot last in the Asian community for 13 years on a Friday night. People call you out, especially on a live calling program where yeah. you open the lines and you don't know what's going to be said next. We've heard it. We've seen people called out and on social media. So... Yeah, I'm blessed in that way. Um, so even the controversial topics like, say, COVID, um, you know, I, I covered and I started translating and I started telling people, look, this is what it is and this is how it is in my sort of unique style with a bit of humour added in, as I always do. And that's just a mechanism I use to get the message through. Because if why you did, start why did, sitting what, there, what, Why didn't you think the message got through? I just don't think that, one, our people took it seriously. Two, it was all covert. No one really knew anyone who died. And, and mm-hmm. until, about, until about May, June, then when people started saying, oh, someone on my streets died, and someone on my next door neighbours died, or my friends died. Like, I know elders now who say, and I'm the only one left. And I think until that happens, people don't take it seriously. They're more happy like, oh. And there was also a bit about, they thought that our Asian community was immune. Yeah. And I, I the whole lady yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And even to some point, I remember one person doing a video and he said, this is the uh, vaccination for Corona. And he drank a bottle. Do you remember that video? Some guy yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he got the, and he just drank it and he sat it down. And I don't even know if he's still alive. But yeah. uh, the fact was, Alcohol weakens that immune system. We know that. And we know that Asians are the most at risk with corona, right? Our community. 
So the total information... Our body types are the worst. The body yeah. type is, is the word for diabetes, heart disease, uh, yeah, dementia, everything from it. And when this comes along, I think that's what annoyed me the most, really, which was they identified in terms of like the BAME communities are the ones that are the most at risk. Yeah. And then there wasn't that much information that was coming out to try and, you know, in that in that engagement format, you know what I mean? In that, in, it's all, it's in your struggle, so basically. Yeah. yeah, no, but you're right, because they didn't get the right people to give the information out. And even now, I was just seeing a video recently, yeah, of people they've got from the Asian community who they claim to be celebrities, and who probably are, if I look at them, but if I showed that to my dad or your dad, they won't know who none of them are. Mm -hmm. They don't know who, who all these guys are, like a film director is, or, you know, someone on a mainstream radio presenter is, or someone who presents a, on IEV at daytime, what it is, because they're not listening to them and they're not watching them. Huh? Up many mm -hmm. people watch the Disney channels, and there's a lot to be said, but even on the Disney channels, there wasn't a much information unfortunately a lot of our desi channels have just turned into channels to beg for funds for some reason or another for some of or another or to keep them running even our radio stations and whereas really what they're there for is information and you should be providing information to the public and with credible faces so i don't think that actually happened and went about. So that was one of the main reasons. But I was so glad that afterwards, like, and recently, a lot of doctors and nurses started making their own videos, yeah. you know, independent of the NHS. And I featured a lot of them on my show and gave them a lot of platform, Dr. Carter. I did a raid, uh, uh, Carter in English, Qatar, as I call him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, was, I, was gonna, I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. And right. I thought Dr. Carter, here we go. This is a guy who's going to like talk totally English and going to like ruin it. Actually, he was one of the most dissiest doctors I've ever seen. And, and he was like proper. He gave it proper to everyone. And so Dr. Qatar, Dr. Sahota from Southall, Dr. Sahota from Gray's Inn, Nisha, who's a nurse from uh, uh, Bedford. So I had a lot of people, uh, Sarabjit from uh, Leeds, who runs the mm. elder service. So there is actually a lot of people out there doing the independent thing. But what happens is they just need a collective platform. And mm. I think because I think you stressed on earlier that people see me as the guy who bridges that generation gap. So I talk with people our age. I can mix it with the youngsters. And at the elders, I can sit there with the BBI and just chat there all day. In fact, I spend most weddings doing that. So at the yeah. weddings, when I walk in, the BBI like, I'm like, and I'm like, oh, okay, because this is what I really came to a wedding to do. <laughs> but, but, but don't worry, I'm here, I, don't, I won't let you down. I'll listen to what your daughter-in-law's degree she's giving you. I remember seeing you at a gig. Like, I, to <laughs> I, remember, I remember seeing you at a gig once in, in the toilets, and there must have been about three people around you huddling, asking you, asking you a case. They were going for a case, you know, immigration case. <laughs> and... And it, it was awkward because, you know, you got, you got people obviously doing their business and trying to shake your hand at the same time. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, well, it, you must, be, you must get that all the time. Yeah, I think, I think I told my story once. Look, look, I was in the toilet and I think all I remember was I got a tap on the back and I'm doing my stuff, holding my, you know, and like 
having enjoying myself or leaving myself. <laughs> yeah. So in a Bashab sort of way, right? So, right? so <laughs> no I have on the shoulder. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've looked around and he's gone to see a And he goes, uh, why money galakanisi? And I said, listen, salal and easy. And I said, listen, my advice at the moment is this. You need to stand back, son. There's a time and a place. Uh, I re- another event, I remember I went to a wedding in uh, Leamington. And uh, like I'm sitting with everyone on a table just about to have my roti. And someone comes up and goes, Sashigal Japaji. And Sashigal goes, I said, oh, that's good. And uh, he goes, Ah, Mari file, they killed that. And he pulled out a 300 page file. And put it on a desk and everyone at that table just looked at me like does this happen to you a lot and i'm like yeah and i'm not really mad but i can't see any files but he goes number somebody but look like 300 pages like right next to my roti plate and i'm like look very country office this ain't the time or place of it so it's just part of life now being it's harassed that desi, at, it's, it's that desi etiquette isn't it it's just, yeah, it's, mate, it's what, just can you, what can you do it's we're part of it so yeah i i, I any doctor out there who's listening to this i feel your pain that weddings, it just must be all about good day and more day and konia and sugar <laughs> and Maria. I put the check and made blood pressure. <laughs> well, I, I remember a stage when um, my bibi used to tell me that when she used to go gordona, the you know, the the bibi at the back of the hall they used to exchange what golia they on, and if uh, you know, if they've got a knee problem. They used to say, oh, go to your doctor. So she would go to the doctors and say, Flane, Flane, you know, she's got this pink goalie. Why haven't I got it? What's that one? <laughs> and then the, and it was, I used to think, and it, there was no data on this, but I remember having an anecdotal conversation with a GP thinking that a lot of the old, the elders don't die because of, they die from overdose. They don't, they <laughs> have so many goalie that they just get this. You tell me how many goalie, uh, how many Bibian do you know who go to the doctors and say, "Can you stop this goalie, please?" Nah, nah. I, I, I don't we, know. This is this. We 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 go to a doctor's to have getting a large, Anna, which we think is viral goalie. So we don't think that what in the Asian community, once you're on a tablet, that you know that's it, you live for life, mate. But that's what I don't so understand. Like, yeah, sorry. And and that and that goes for anything. Like, so imagine, like, um, you know, you get the homeopathic medicines as well. Yeah. So people take them for life. And, like, they don't think that there's a limit on these. How do you know he works, though? Yeah, yeah. Hajimullah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, like, it, um, I think the take-up within the Asian communities are still good. And uh, do you remember, I don't know, when people used to go to India and anyone get ill, they used to just get a tikka. I didn't understand. They've got look. Here's COVID. We've got an injection for you. You know, we come from a medicalized model. We should. Be, be, I thought people would be running to the to the to the centres to get vaccinated. I th- I think the, I think the take up now is good, but I think I think it's good. Point, I think it's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a bit of a false flag to say that now the take up isn't good. I think it's quite good, and I think what's happened is um, you remember that when my dad had his tikka, I made yeah, a video. That was a good video. And I put that out and I said, look, and then I put one a week out saying you're still alive, but my I got wicked 5G reception and I got free <laughs> internet for like when I put my phone next to him. <laughs> so, yeah. so you know, it was like uh, playing on that really. And I said, look, nothing happened to him. And I think as people went and got the injection, 
and people realize that and you know it's not bad and i always say i said i've never heard of anyone who's died after having a vaccination and believe me until i started doing these videos i didn't realize how many anti-vaxxers there are in our community and it's not the elders who are anti-vaxxers it's people like my mine and your age who are anti-vaxxers who are saying i'm not sending my mum for an injection i'm not sending my mum for an injection and um they all said, do you know what the side effects of the vaccine is? I said, I don't know about the side effects of the vaccine, but I know what the side effects of COVID is, and that's death. And the side effects of the vaccine isn't death. I don't know anyone who's died of having a vaccine, but I can tell you 120,000 people who have died of COVID. So I said, that, that's the choice you've got. And good luck to you if you're going to make that. First of all, you don't have a right to make that on behalf of your parents. You should be the one informing them. And you're sitting there at home filling their heads with all these unsubstantiated claims and all these uh, theories that you've, that miraculously you've spotted yeah, and the world's best top doctors and scientists and yeah. press haven't spotted a single case, but on the toilet with your pant down your ankles have managed to do your research and find this where someone in a lab who spent their whole life studying medicine has not found this. And I said, well, you know, you're so, you got a superpower, my friend. <laughs> I, I tell you, one of the things that I found, my, mom, my mom's a nurse, and um, yeah. what she found out was, um, and, and it was a hearing about uh, should I, uh, uh, what I should say, was that um, kids telling their parents not to have it, and then the parents secretly having the, having the injection, having the appointment and getting it done. Because they put up on Marna. They'll be after the Jameen, basically. You can't have that conversation. No, I'm telling you. They'll be like, I'm Maria Sam Cardin for coverage. Maria the Kalki, but the Kaluki Hoyenda. What is it, but why does this form say TR1 transfer of property on it? And why is it said to like me? Giving it to you. We can imagine how much of that, that has gone on over the past uh, like a uh, year or so. But um, yeah, I think I'm it, in the power of the only design card, the telebank account, the trust of the telecount. Like, yeah, uh, you know, we, we, say, we say that as a laugh, but you know, I'm sure some of that did go on. But yeah, if you was a kid, why wouldn't you want your parent protected from COVID? I, I think this last year has opened you know, a lot of, a lot of eyes to a lot of priorities to not just priorities yeah. or what people want to do in their life in it, which is, you know, it has been one of the silver linings and one of the positive things from there. I know you, you mentioned about the, the, the weight being an issue in lockdown three, let's call it, but lockdown one, yeah. two, what was some yeah. of the things that you learned uh, about yourself, especially in the last year? I mean, you're 46 next month or something like that. 46 next month. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 46, yeah. 46 next month. Um, so one. go on. Oh, I learned a lot of stuff. I'm done with the this year. So, right. First don't thing worry, man. We're here for days. Don't worry about it. <laughs> first, thing I learned, first thing I learned was I don't spend as much time with my kids as I should. Yeah. And now that I have, now I can see that I've built such a good bond with them that they miss me. They probably won't let me stay out overnight anywhere. So, um, you know, that, I've, that these bonds are created over time. The reason we don't have good relationship with our parents is we don't spend that much time with them. The reason we fall out of sync with our other halves and our kids is we don't spend that much time with them. 
We're so busy, stressed out with other stuff. And I think that was such a good thing, just to walk in the park with my kids, just to kick a ball around in the back garden. I've never done that. Just to go for a walk in on the street with, you know, my kids and my family and my mum. You know, I'd, I'd never done that. So one, that thing I learned. Secondly, I learned that you can't get time back, Ricky. There was, I was sitting there thinking, if I said to Ricky, you know, if I said to you, right, Rick, give me my last five years back of my time. Could you do it? No one can do it. And I thought, there's no value on that. Time has no value. So we've got to use that wisely. Look at how much time we waste thinking about what others think, what others' opinions are, about other people's problems, yeah, about our work-related stuff, even when we're off work and we come home. Yeah? So people who have no value in our lives or bring nothing to the table in our lives, we worry about their opinions. Well, we could spend that positively with our family, educating our kids. You know, I spent a lot of time homeschooling. And I'm telling you, it's the hardest job in the world. Being a mum is the hardest job in the world. I used to muck around with my wife and say, I used to laugh and taunt her and say, you know what, why don't you go to work? Because she used to be a teacher. And I'd love to sit out and just watch cartoons and Paw Patrol all day. And she goes, is that what you think my life entails? And I said, yeah, probably. And I did before lockdown. Oh, my God, mate. So I'm like, I can't handle this. The homeschooling was a lot. I learned more about at, through my daughter's homeschooling last year than I'd learned at my proper school. <laughs> so, so I learned a bit of Spanish. I learned a bit about uh, the Mayans. You know, I learned all about this, about what they're teaching at school, like all the English books that she was reading. And I was like, this is some proper stuff. How comes, you know? Now, yeah. I don't remember any of this, learning any of this at school. So it was like, a, I learned a lot of stuff. And I learned a lot about how much we in our life just go through it without really thinking about it, without really concentrating about ourselves. We don't take time for ourselves, Ricky. And Asian family, household members' life is about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. If you're a woman, you sacrifice your life trying to please your parents in servitude. Then you're told you have to go to your husband and please him and his mum and dad. Then you're pleasing your kids. There's no time left for you. As a dad and as a guy, yeah, you're pleasing your mum and dad by making the dreams coming true, yeah. You're trying to do your work, trying to do that. Then you're earning a living or you try to earn a living, Hannah. And then we just, this is chain. I don't, think that, I don't know if it's just Asian households, but... I just, I'm just like, have you sat down and actually enjoyed yourself, had fun? And when I sit down to a lot of guys, I'm like, what's your idea of enjoying yourself? They go, oh, I'll go to the pub and have a few drinks. And I'm like, that's not really enjoyment. That's become a ritual. Hannah, we do that as a ritual every mm. Friday. Go to the pub, have a mixed girl, have a few drinks. You do the same thing every Friday. And does that makes you feel better? Like, uh, you know, and that's not really, you're not exploring the world. You're not going out there and doing anything. You're not doing anything different. You're not doing anything life-changing. You're just doing a ritual. So I think that's those, a lot of stuff. You know those conversations that you were just talking about at the pub? I was thinking yeah. about it myself, actually, which was a... I think I heard it. I saw apologies for stealing it from somebody subconsciously. But yeah. there was like... You could get yourself into a stage where you're sitting at the pub and you're always talking about what you guys used to, what you used to do. 
Rather than yeah. thinking, look, we're, we're at this stage in life where we could be thinking like, this is what I've just done last week. You know, yeah. I, I remember, you know, you, you got a few friends who always, you know, you'd bring up the same stories all the time. And you're thinking, hang on, you know, we've got another 40 years of material here. We need to start, yeah, yeah. you need to start exploring one of the, uh, exploring those things. And I think, you know, this whole cycle is coming around. And uh, uh, even a few of my stronger mates in terms of like, you know, you kind of look up to, they've got this fear of anxiety of what the what the future is going to look like. You know, do you, do you feel, do you have a sense of that or in your inner circle with your mates and that, any of those feelings coming through? Sometimes when I see the racism in this country, when I see what, how people are treated, people of colour are treated, when I see the underhand sly racism, that does get me down. And at one stage, I even thought of leaving for Canada. And um, I was so close before my heart attack of putting an application in. But then, I don't know, you know, I was meant to just stay here and I just didn't bother in the end. But I think, you know, I do have, a, I do worry. Everyone worries. It's normal to worry. It's normal to be anxious. It's normal, yeah? There's no one out there who can say they haven't worried about anything. And that is part of life. It's part of their genetic makeup. But there's, you've got to realise there's only so much things that you can control. Yeah. First of all, you can't control stuff after you're dead. We love to think we can as humans, right? And as Asians, even worse, we like to think we can control what our grandchildren are going to do. Mm. So we're sitting there having conversations about I don't know or you might be in a wheelchair, you might, I might be unable to talk. No one's going to sit and ask you, sunshine. Right? That's not the first thing, right? Then we talk about... Sorry. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be in your grave. You're not even going to be in a grave. We're going to be in a river somewhere. <laughs> yeah? Our teeth will be. Yeah? And the rest of our body is going to be burnt like, like uh, Nando's. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral in India. Yeah. But I oh, uh, yeah. Right, and what they do is they roast you, mate. Yeah, and then they flip you over. And uh, they make sure, you know, you're, you're done properly, like a proper well-done chicken. So we try and control things that are out of our control. When you realise that the universe is going to do what it's going to do and there's only so much in your control, then you begin to stop worrying about these things. And then you begin to start believing the process. So, Abbahan we can only sort of guide people and give our views and we should stop trying to control everything we're such control freaks um asians are and you know we try and control everything worry about every little thing uh, you know people's right to get anxious but don't get anxious over stuff you can't control what's the point of that and don't try and control too much in your life we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow i've got a plan there's not, that doesn't mean I don't plan, but I don't know. I've just told you the story of my heart attack. I went to drop my yeah. kids off at school and I ended up staying in hospital for two weeks thought I was going to die. And so, you know, that's how, how much of in control of my life I am. I'm not in control at all. So I probably just trust the process, try and be good people, try and make our kids into good people. And that's it. And try and pass our legacies, our parents gave us, the good parts of them, onto our Kids, because we've got to realise that everything our parents have given to us, not all of that is good. We carry a lot of baggage from our culture over, um, from our, you know, teachings over. And uh, we've got to realise that some of that is going to work here and some of that isn't. 
So it's tried and tested. We've got to make our own legacies to pass on to our kids. And you know what my successful life will be? If after I die, Jaipan Bande go, you know that guy, he was all right, he was. Teeks even though. That's it. That's, that's, that's all we can hope for. Even then, not everyone will say it. And that's cool as well. It doesn't bother me. Like I said, I'm dead. I'm roasted. <laughs> my teeth are floating down a river in India somewhere. <laughs> no, I don't... I don't really want to think about your teeth down the river at this stage of that. You know, we, we, we've got oh, you here for a good while. We're going to try our best to keep you there. You know, it is, like, I think you, you made a really good point there in terms of like the stereotypes and these, the whole culture. There's, you know, there's battles between religion and culture um, yeah, and, and the culture, not just even uh, within the uh, Asian communities, but even regionally where you live, uh, you know, um, yeah, of course. London, Birmingham, it, it's completely different in, in some aspects. Yeah, of course. Do you do you feel like I I kind of feel this that you know this whole the whole wedding industry sort of like just it died didn't it? Yeah. And what was interesting was when people were all automatically turning around and saying, "I'm not going to have a reception now. I'm just going to cancel the wedding, have it in another garage, and then uh, you know buy a house." And, and yeah. I was actually um, speaking to one of my mates again. I've got quite a lot of mates, um, and they were talking about how. It's acted as a catalyst. Like this is knocked off like five to ten years. Potentially, if people don't go and revert back to what it used to be, a lot of those stereotypes, some of those traditions, those needless traditions, are going to be kind of thrown out. Do you think we're at that point, or do you think that's more kind of wishful thinking? I think there are a lot of people now who've had the COVID weddings, and I thought, you know, it hasn't really made much of a difference because no one's had their wedding. I think there's a lot of people holding off to have a party. and uh, No, but I I'll tell you now, nobody has an anniversary party anymore. Remember, it used to be back, that used to be the rain uh, back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, yeah, one's, yeah. no one's going to do that. That's because that's because they realise what they've done by getting married. What are you celebrating? I've been married 10 years. Oh my God, what? And they're going to follow you for another bikini, innit? They're going to say, forget the immigration one, I need the other one. Oh, bro, I'm going to need a bikini if I start talking like this anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think you're right to some extent. People have realised, look, we can put that money elsewhere. And all we were doing were people policing. But I was with like a lot of DJs on the weekend. And unfortunately, um, they feel as if there's been a big lack of sympathy for them in the Asian community. And they feel like saying, well, tough, you used to charge just for Dordin Gandhi and to see Steer Dewey Bassett Ackland this again. You were overpricing the market. The caterers were charging £80 a head. I mean, in London, some of them charge £800 a head. You've been to them weddings, I've been to them weddings, right? And I can't have any of them, like, properly. In fact, the smaller the, the dish, the more they charge for it, right? That would make it artistic. <laughs> Or instead of putting a dollop of sauce, they go spray it like a signature. And they go, that, that'll be an extra 20 quid, please. I'm like, what? Because he sourced up by any Right, so it's a. He's still going to have chippy on the way home anyway. That's yeah, the standard. It's a pack of pies. Right, so or, or, or what, yeah, what you've got to think is like that a lot of people didn't have sympathy, but a lot of them are struggling. So like DJs, mm -hmm. caterers are struggling. They've laid off staff. That was a big industry. Hall, wedding halls. They've got no events to hold and they've got rents to pay, you know, and they've, some have gone out of business. A lot of people have gone out of business. Photographers, wedding filmmakers. I mean, I was talking to one wedding filmmaker, he's a good friend of mine, and he goes, I've given me a chance to catch up um, on my last year 
films some because wedding filmmakers are everything, notorious everything. not not delivering not delivering like films on time right oh buddy i'll give you in a couple of months he goes a job i felt so ashamed one film i got Anna, and i gave it to him four years after their wedding they'd had two kids <laughs> i went to give him the wedding bill <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the anniversary i told you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And it's like uh, so it's given people time to catch up like that but um i just think that I don't think weddings are going to be eradicated. they like to show off that they've got a bit of money. they like to please other people. People who've been to everyone else's wedding feel a sense of duty that they owe all of them a wedding. I mean, so it, it's a bit of but if you've been to everyone's wedding for the last 20 years, and say it was your kid's wedding, and then you did it all job to be there, and said, I'm only going to then people are going to look at you and say, what? You cheapskate. Or... Oh, well, why did you come to ours and and you know I did the dodo bottle of champagne. Yeah, sounds like it's only put five five pound beer and drink and eat about hundred pounds. I think people have still got a bit of sense of that, and that's like maybe a bit of false pride or whatever, you know. So there's still a sense of that, and a still of tit for tat and a bahasab karnapura. We're very good at that. We're very good at tit for tat as a community. So I I think to write it off completely, I don't think that's going to happen. I think people are still going to have it. And it all depends if the trends pick up. I mean, then I can imagine the first few weddings that happen after all this is over are going to be brilliant. People are going to love them and they're going to, and that might just encourage it and think, you know what? It might go the other way. Yeah, I do think the, the hospitality side of it and especially some of the, um, the wedding industry, the DJs and, you know, I think they, I, I, I personally felt that they got kind of penalised for being too, to be successful, you know. And it's not, it's, yeah, it's I, not. It's yeah, not I, I, I think it was, a, it was a mixture of success, arrogance, you know, forgetting where they come from in the first place. So all of these DJs now, who are big DJs, who are charging six, seven grand, yeah, they all started off as two, three hundred pound DJs. You know that. Mm-hmm. I know that. I know you're in a awkward situation, but that I, yeah, you know me, you knew this interview. Yeah, so you're yeah, going to get the truth. I don't, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah. They all, so they all did, right? And doing the same thing that they do now, but just with more screens on a bigger scale yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, it's everyone's got a right to charge what they charge, Hannah. Mm. But then what happens is when people get too big, they forget the little man. And uh, they forget, you know, and so. Like I said, if you if you're too big for your boots, some little man's there to um, take you, fill them, fill your boots, and make yeah, the success yeah. out of himself. No, the, no, I think I I think that's fine. I think what's happened is, and you know, this is just my own theory, is that you've huh. you you've got successful people in any of those wedding supply industries yeah. who went in and basically professionalized the desi market. And when when they when they got to a stage, you know, like at the end of the day, if someone's going to book you, hire you for being a solicitor, you're not going to be the same as what you used to be before. You're no, going to, well, I don't know. Yeah. So, and, 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 and I think that well, you have to change over time, and you have to set your standard. Yeah. And you have to improve. But then people, what the people look at DJs a bit differently, huh? Because they yeah. look at like, and that that that, you know, you're doing the same thing that you were essentially doing. All right, you're on a bit Lego, but you're just charging me now because you're more famous yeah. than what it is. Or you've got a couple but of tracks out. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. There'll be some people who'd say like, the, you know, they want to book it because they've got the, 
the social media brand or they've got the the best equipment or they've got uh, you know con- connected to this person or, or that person and ultimately it's like it's a decision for, for you know you've got to live within your means because yeah, when, com- when it comes when it comes down to it and you say right we're going to charge you you know a caterer can charge x amount you know and so if they can't afford it they won't do it and there are people out there who are going to be charging whatever and i think it helps to bring up the whole of the system i just feel that it, there's a potential kind of reset here which i was going back before yeah. where people say yeah. you know we're in this new kind of territory i think we'll be in a better position 12 months time 18 months time to say you know where yeah. where this goes through you know the nighttime economy if you if you're talking about if you're releasing a track for example one of the key places to play is in a club you have no idea whether yeah. these nightclubs are, you know, what the regulations and restrictions are going to be likely. Who's going to turn up? Are people actually comfortable going to a wedding? That's that's another but, one. But Ricky, like, if it is all about releasing tracks over COVID, why haven't there been any Bangla dance tracks? Huh? There's been no releases. Everyone's biding their time because they realise Sanu Fadani, Hani, Club Hani, Lokane Bangla, so it's not it's not a service anyone's doing, right? It's obviously well, money making. See, I, I would, <laughs> no, I would agree with the first six months, and I think he's covered nicely onto the kind of uh, you know on a very sensitive and topical subject was uh, the whole Kassan movement and what's going on. And I know yeah. you've been heavily involved in, in in that side of it, and I think it was just a, a sheer timing issue as well, where you know it, you've got a couple of artists who have done it. You know they've gone out and, and you know they've put some some commercial on, but you did have a bro, bro out of, out of five thousand, you ain't gonna make a difference. It ain't cutting it. It ain't cutting it. Do you know fifty percent of that's fair up and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay professional. I know you're, that you're, bit. you're you're in the industry and in that yeah, yeah. not I'll tell you because it's not commercially viable. That's why. That's the first thing. Secondly, mm. the lack of Punjabi films that have come out. It's the same reason. So there's no cinemas there for people to go in. And and Hollywood films, right? So they're delaying the James Bond film. They're delaying the Black Widow film because they've got to make a money. They've got to make their money back on what on what they on what they spent on this stuff. So I think like with that industry, with that side of things and the whole DJ side of things, I, I do feel sorry for them because... A lot of them mm. were employing a lot of people, and and they were doing yeah. a lot of training on the job. They trained a lot a of young huge, It was a huge. It was This is the point. I think there was a huge ripple effect when you think yeah, about well, how 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 it affects everybody down uh, from that one. And I think you know for it to be neglected, and I really do hope that we do see some of those uh, you know some of those suppliers char- uh, characters. You know, there are characters. You know, some good. Oh, I love people them. Involved, I love them all. all. Come back. I, I, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. I I I you know. I, my best mates are DJs and uh, moors, and you know there's a two, there are two things that you can request on, like Facebook. I need a moor and a DJ, and you'll get about four hundred replies. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you say, oh, you know, I need a ice cream while to entertain or an entertainer for the kids, go in and do our Yeah. <laughs> so, so what you, 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 you get so, so, Yeah. So what happens is this this like industry and i know it's affected the makeup artists as well and it's affected yeah. them and and all of them women i i tell you what i want to see so i tell you what i want to see i want to say weddings go back to the 80s and the early 90s with the school halls the long tables the, the paper sheet over the tables the plastic lick up the yeah. girls brothers cousins doing the silver yeah that the desi live band the school hall none of the, none of the showbiz and none of and all the, this uh, the balloons is the arch on the dance floor. 
That's it. That's it, man. But the only thing bad about those weddings were when we first, when I remember my first wedding, women weren't allowed on the janet. So it was just blokes. And that I found, now I look back, and I think I found that obviously chauvinistic, sexist, and, you know, times have changed. Now, all you see on the dance floor are women, and you see Jar Shabib when they're dancing in the corner. But at that time, it just used to be blokes. And I think that bit has been a great positive change about decent, um, about new weddings. But, yeah, I'll say bring it back to basics, man. I quite liked it. The, the Coke bottles there, the full ones on the table, you know, all of that, the, the beer coming in plastic glasses. Crisps. And, Crisps yeah. is it, crisp is gone. You know when you said Walker's crisps, you know exactly. You send a little kid, go and get me some cheese and onion from that table. Bring it over. Also, like golden wonder, you know, Golden wonder, uh, the Five alive, five alive, the juice. Five alive juice, yeah. Five alive, killing it. Five alive, umbungo, and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, all of that, all of that. Yeah, I, I, I like them. I like them times because them weddings had a homely feel. Yeah. Nowadays, weddings have a commercial feel. As soon as you walk in, no, that's looking at what, everyone's looking at what you're wearing, what you got on your wrist. Yeah, everyone's looking at. In those days, mate, you could turn up like Jarbatan Kulle, you know, or someone would have the Jenny showing up, but you could turn up Jarbatan Kulle, white, someone would bust out some white shoes and respect to the guys who used to wear white shoes. Yeah, respect to them, they were the dons. Right, but um, you knew they were the Playboys. <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> this uh, is that's it, man. That's it, Mr. Montana. So, so respect to that, then, like where the women used to make the food the night before, the guys used to make the meat. I know it's very mm. stereotypical, but that, those weddings were with love, you know. And if something went wrong, everyone was stood up to fix it. It wasn't like. Mm. Oh, look at the masha and laugh at them. Oh, they've had a mistake at their wedding. There wasn't that much pressure, mate, on in them days. It was like... Yeah, it was shared. Oh, it was shared. Yeah, it was shared. The whole responsibility was shared. And there weren't these overinflated prices that you see now. People spending 150 grand on a wedding. Mate, I don't want you to spend 150 grand just to for me to have fun for three hours. I'd rather you spend that on a house. I can have fun with a 12 pound bottle and a, and a, and you know and a, and a, and a phone <laughs> and i'll stick that on with a speaker and I'll, I'll have the same amount of fun as i'm dancing to your 150 grand wedding and mm. i don't want a person feeling pressurized who spent his whole life working on a foundry or working like that you know he's got three daughters on the building so where am i going to get three four luck upon from mm. yeah and that would be a heart attack on here yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like having one now. That's the jacket potato. Yeah, mate. No potato there. What the potato bunny and a mashed potato when you hear this how much money. But yeah, the pressures we put as a community are not good. But once again, if you've got the money, then who am I to stop? Who am I to, or who's anyone to stop you spending it? Go for it. But just don't expect everyone else to go along with it. Everyone's free to do what they want now without judgment. We as a community need to stop judging each other. And I think that's more important. We need to stop kitching each other's lutta. We need to stop we need to start supporting each other and say, you know what, you don't want a wedding? That's fine. And my blessings are still with you. I'm not gonna backbite you. I'm not gonna bitch about you. You want a great wedding? Have one, mate. I'll come along and enjoy it and drink your mengi sharab and eat your 
chicken tikka with the sauce where it's scribbled on instead of dolloped on. Happy, happy, happy days, my friend, you know. But um, either way, from someone like me, I'm happy whatever you do. But um, so I've gone past that stage. As you mm. mature, Ricky, yeah. um, every year, you said one of the things you learned in lockdown, one of the things I learned in lockdown was every year I learn and there's a lot to learn. And if I think I've learned everything, I haven't. I'm still learning every day. I learn a lot of stuff every day. And every year I grow maturer. I look back at myself as a 21-year-old and I feel ashamed of some of the views that I held then and the way that I acted. And I feel ashamed when I got to, you know, I feel ashamed now of some of the things that I used to think about when I was five years ago and like 10 years ago. So life is about growth. If the day you stop growing is the day you stop living. So life is about growth, not physical, but mental. Grow and grow and grow until the day you die. That's how it should be. You should learn and grow and you should be changing your views. If your views now at the age of 45 are still the same as as you when you're 21, you have wasted them 24 years. That's what I will say. You waste that because you've learned nothing and you've grown nothing. And it's okay to admit you were wrong. It's okay to admit that your thinking was wrong and that, you know, you were backward or you were, um, you know, brainwashed in certain areas or you were influenced, wrongly influenced. It's okay. But what's not okay is to know that that was the case and still stick with it. So as long as you're making an effort to change and eradicate all the wrong sort of things you perceive to be in your life and try and become a better person, mate, you're growing and that's all good. I mean, you've come across in terms of, you know, you've got very strong ethical uh, values, a very strong moral compass. You talked about that, getting that community feel back as well. I just want to touch back on the Kassan thing and, you know, yeah, definitely. just your, your thoughts on that. What do you think the future looks like with that? I, I mean, just running quickly ahead, you know, your your work is around immigration yeah. There could be huge, huge consequences for that. At the, you know, there's this big yeah. fear of what's going on. I mean, you know, what's your thoughts on it? The whole system in India is one of the main reasons why our parents came here in the first place. The biggest one is poverty, yeah, which none of us like to admit now, because we all think our parents were millionaires when they came over. But actually, I doubt if any of us have ever sat down with our parents and said, Dad, Tell me about your childhood and tell me why you came here and how you came here. Another myth is we all think that our dads were invited here by Queen Elizabeth because she sent a letter to them in the pen. <laughs> I think that's not the case. I know I spent my 20 years of my life talking to people who've come here and under what conditions they've come here and why they've come here. And the things they tell me, they don't match up to our perception of that. That's the first thing. The reason why people come here is because they're dookie to escape for a better life. Or they've had a real bad life and they don't want their kids to go through the same thing. Now, um, for people like with the Kassan laws, yeah, I don't think this is going away anywhere very quickly at all. I think we're in a standoff and there needs to be now some skillful negotiation between the two parties. At one point, the Kassan movement was nearly dead, but then it was got because of a few actions of a few individuals, but it got rescued by, again, by the actions of a few individuals. And now it's pretty good and thriving. And I think we've now got a standoff where one side is saying, well, we've done what we've done with the laws. We're not going to repeal them because if we do, then every, everyone, when they want a law repeal, it's going to come and sit at Delhi. 
and um, are going to start a protest. And that sends out a signal that we're weak. And on the other side, we've got a set of people who said, well, hold on, this is about our livelihood. We're not backing down, down until you give us a certain number of guarantees. And so you now have a standoff here um, between uh, two parties. And the thing is, a, a lot of people don't understand. So I'll get a lot of com commentators talking about it. And I listen to them and I think, you don't really understand what the matter is. You're just blindly shouting slogans or you're saying what other people uh, uh, listen to. The system for farmers in India has never been good, has never been good. It is the only system in the world where the seller, which is the farmer who grows the crop, sells for the lowest price possible. Yeah, The consumer, the customer, buys at the highest rate possible. And the middleman makes the chunk of the money. Right? That's the only system at the moment. If it was so perfect before these laws came in, in 2017, 10,000 farmers would not have committed suicide. So in 2017, 10,000 farmers committed suicide because of debts and because of that system that was in place. Does that tell you that that is a sign of a successful system? No, it doesn't. But the new laws proposed, that's not the answer either. You don't replace the local middleman with companies like Amazon and, you know, like eBay, the equivalent of that. What you would need to do is to knock that whole system down and create a whole new infrastructure where the farmer, if he wants to sell something for 100 rupees, yeah, or has to sell his product for 100 rupees, then he gets to keep 80, 90 rupees of that. And a middleman only takes 10%. You've got stuff in India where... The farmer sells for 100, his crop is then sold by the middleman to the consumer for 180. The middleman has made 80, doing F4, acting as just an intermediary. He hasn't grown the crop, yet. he hasn't packaged it, and all he's done is find a seller for the buyer. And that's where the system is flawed and it needs to be corrected. So the answer is to knock the whole system down and make a new infrastructure. No one's thinking about that at the moment. It's all about, right, let's go back to the old system where 10,000 people die a year. That's not good enough either. And um, in the middle of it, unfortunately, protesters are dying because of cold, bumaria, suicides, COVID, and up in between. And you've had about 250 people die so far. And they're the main breadwinners in their families. And now their families have lost a breadwinner, all because they're main breadwinner decided to go out and protest. And during that protest, which has carried on for 100 odd days now, um, you know, nothing has been achieved in that much. In fact, that not what either side wants hasn't been achieved. And there's been no middle ground for negotiation. And um, that's it, we are where we are, we're at this standoff. And I think this is gonna go on. I think the farmers have camped there for at least, they can camp there for another two or three years. The government are hoping that April comes, that just isn't going to happen. This is going to go on. It's about buttering the farmers up, the farmers getting jamalil, losing their old support system, and then totally at the hand of um, these sort of companies. Exactly the same thing happened with the phone lines. So there was a company called BSNL, which was India's national company. These new companies come along and said, we'll give you free internet, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. Everyone dumped BSNL, BSNL flopped, all that was left were the big companies who then upped their prices and hiked them. There's no more free internet. Now to now we're going to charge you what I want. The same thing happened with public schools and uh, 
India schools. So the Sarkari schools, yeah, were in place. The private schools came along, offered the low rates at first, excellent quality teaching. No one went to the state schools. Everyone went to private schools. State schools have failed. And now the private schools are hiking up the prices and pricing everyone out and charging what they want. The same thing happens. And this is the same model that is going to happen in the farming thing. And when that happens with the farming thing, then people lose their lives, people lose their livelihoods. And, you know, it affects a lot of people. I mean, the new system won't affect people with one acre or two acres because they don't grow enough land to go and sell them in the Mondays. They used to sell it in their local markets. But it's going to affect the big landlords and it's going to affect the middlemen who are making a lot of money. And it's going to affect, it's going to help these big corporations enter into a market from where they were previously excluded or they haven't been in. And so they're licking their lips. Everyone, the government are spending like 90,000 crores, rupees, a year on this failed system of MSP, which they call a minimum support price. Yeah. yeah. And so, of which only about 17% of farmers use anyway. Yeah, so the government are trying to get out of that 90,000 crore bills that they pay a year. Yeah, the, the, the farmers are saying, well, no, we want to keep it, especially farmers from Punjab and Haryana, are saying we want to keep it because they're the two big farming states. And so you've got this terrible situation that has just happened due to a lack of infrastructure. And that's all it is. There's hardly an infrastructure for anything in India. And for the things that the infrastructure that there is, it doesn't go according to policy. It's like the roads in India. Yeah. They've all got road markings. Yeah. Right. You know and I know how many people go according to them. None. Right. They've all got traffic yeah. lights there. How many people go according <laughs> to that? Mate, when the railway crossing closes, people still cross. Okay. I've seen people take their scooters underneath there. You know? So there's no obedience of that. There's no implementation of that. And that's what you get when you've got a structure, but you've got no one to implement it. And so, or no one just cares about it. Yeah, I mean, the infrastructure in, 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 a, in a wider aspect, you know, especially about the debts that you were talking about, the farmer suicide. Yeah. I... I in some ways, you know, from the addiction services where I was working in, you know, the drugs and alcohol and, you know, not even Punjab, you know, it's come very, very closely linked um, from that bit. You, we don't get that much data out of, out of India and in, in, in Punjab. You've got now a lot of uh, young people you can see have become, uh, I don't want to say, you know, woke in that way in terms of what's yeah. going on in there. And that's building up this real momentum. Do you think that's been the kind of the silver lining in terms of when people have, you know, you've repeatedly on social media getting more and more outspoken and things like that, you know, and then, you know, individuals like yourselves who are becoming more vocal around it. You know, do you think that's kind of sharing the pressure or is it still kind of, they still need like a leader in order to try and take things more forward? You don't I, get I think, the, go on, I, I, think, I think choosing a leader is a bit of a tricky thing. Everyone wants to be a leader. No one's got the capability to be a leader. No one's, had, no one's got a track record of being a proven leader. I'm like, why would you want to be a leader in a standoff against the government? Yeah, because ultimately you won't get thanked for it. You'll probably get the government gunning for you for it. Yeah, that's like me saying, go on, Ricky, lead a protest against Boris Johnson. And you'll think of three times before you do it because you think, right, yeah. do I really want this government on my back? Do I really want to, you know, and you're not going to get a shabashi for it. Everyone's going to go home and do their own thing. Then That's the yeah. one thing. Yeah, so that, but in relation to that, people getting more aware is a great thing. 
Ricky made a catchphrase here. Yeah? The catchphrase is this. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is always education. So in this, people have begun to educate themselves. And people have begun to learn about it. That's never a bad thing. That's never a bad thing. There are, of course, people who will try and use this situation to exploit it, to make money for themselves, to sell their products. Yeah, we see that all the time. But I think people educating them things themselves is a good thing. And always Jesus for the air. And um, the, uh, anywhere where you educate yourself, I'll never call that a bad thing. And the youth of Punjab need to educate themselves. They need to educate themselves. The youth of India need to educate themselves. It's, India is such a thriving country. 65% of the population is under like the age of 35. It's a young country. You know, it has its own issues of corruption, poverty, you know, bad distribution of wealth. But then the youngsters, once they get educated, they can overcome this. But the, the fact is, un until, until that happens, we're still going to have problems. We're going to have problems in a size, you know, a country the size of India. It's not as if India doesn't have the money. India are giving loans to other countries. They're giving vaccines to other countries. Right? Right. So they must have the money. And so the fact is they've got the money. It just isn't distributed. It just doesn't go where it needs to go. And I think that's the problem. But education, it won't happen overnight. It will take years and years and years, probably way after me and you are dead, and maybe even after our children are dead. But it will get there one day. India will get there one day. I've got faith in humanity and I've got faith in people. There's only so much of a bad system people will take until a revolution happens. History has told us that. There's only so much oppression that you can take, that poor people can take, before people will revolt and decide enough is enough. And there will emerge leaders at that time, but leaders who have come out from them oppressed people, not leaders who are rich and wealthy, not leaders mm. who are there to make their numbers for themselves or looking at their Twitter followers and say, not leaders looking for uh, stand, to stand on a stage and be, go, look at me, look at me, but real leaders. And real leaders come from hard times and hard times make true leaders. And uh, they will come from the oppressed masses and they'll be the leaders that we need. And they'll be the leaders who people will follow. People who are one of them, not somebody from outside, not somebody who's lived a cushy life like me or people from the UK, Canada, USA, but one of them, one of the oppressed, not people who are celebrities, singers and actors and all of that, but an actual oppressed farmer will come and raise his voice and people will follow. Pretty heavy, pretty heavy to content heavy, to, heavy. to think about, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? It's very um, heavy. Yeah. Just but once again, if that prompts people to educate themselves, mm. then by all means, get online, educate themselves. In our days, we it's have such, to go to the library book. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a sensitive conversation, but you always get kind of that when you speak to your mates, family, and that you, you, you could definitely, you know, there's pain there. Everyone's going through it. There's sorties there all, all the time. It's always we're, there. We're, we're all hurting, Ricky, because we've come from the same thing. And it doesn't matter what, what your um, background is, somewhere along the line, you are, you know, bound by a farming family if you're from India. They've either paid for you to go abroad, you've got a loan off these middlemen to go abroad, you're a shopkeeper, you sell products which are produced by farmers, you make tractors, you know, your farmers book you at weddings. Yeah. yeah. So down along, it doesn't matter what you are, you're all associated with farming at some stage. That's why it hurts. 
we go back and see our Punjab and our Kirt and all that, and I have a peaceful time there. But actually, if we go back and live there, then we see it might not be a good place for us to live. It might not be a place where we want to raise our kids because things aren't all hunky-dory there. And you know, and you touched on this, and you're the best person to talk about, like, about this drug and alcohol addiction. Right? Drug and alcohol addiction, your whole life, the majority of it, has been involved around educating people about that. Now, whatever your question is, I bet the answer is education. Right? Now, what you do is yeah. educate, and you educate people about that. And look, and it doesn't matter, you see Punjabis here who have come from them families with addictions. And here it increases, and here they're roaming the streets, yeah. addicted. Those people have been sent over here to make a better life, thinking England will cure them, when yeah. in fact it hasn't. It's not a it cure. Just, sending people. It just goes straight into suitcase. It's been, I'll be honest, you know, it, it got me to a point where I was just burnt out. You know, I was, yeah. I remember... Twitter, Twitter was a different place when you first started. I, I remember yeah, then it was. Uh, I, I got to a stage and then someone tweeted me, or I can't remember, was it for your message saying, oh, you're banging on about the same thing. And it really bugged me. You know, I, I would I would put something stupid up, you know, on, on social media, you know, like a Man United score or something. And you'd get yeah. loads of interaction. If you put in... Yeah. You put in, oh, this is the best article telling you about the, you know, there's a de-addiction centre in this oh, area. So how to, you know, you'd barely get anybody uh, talking about it or mention it. And it used to really wind me up and to the point where it was like, look, you got 28 million people in Punjab. At some stages, there was like 65% of some of the families. I mean, these are the stats back then. They are, you know, hopefully I'm wrong now. It had one person in the, in the family in the last 12 months addicted to drugs. You know, I, I, I remember when I came to your office in West Brom, really, to interview okay. you about six, seven years ago. Uh, and that prompted on, you know, for me to do a conference trying to highlight this. And it, in essence, nobody cared. No, nobody really gave a shit at that point. And, um, and I just got worn out. I just got worn out because people would, you know, it's not their fault. They were living their day-to-day -day stuff. They didn't really know about it some ways. And harsh to say, I don't really think they cared what was going on over there because it, it yeah. doesn't affect their day-to-day -day life. But when you when you see generations, you know, getting wiped out from health inequalities, yeah. that for me is saying, hang on, we've got we've got an issue. People coming over here, um, sleeping under railway uh, railway bridges, sleeping in uh, under these canal tunnels. I, I was in the, you know you're in an unfortunate position of trying you know, where you you could try and help and promote drug awareness and do all of these things and you're just getting nothing back. And I just got, I got sick of it at one stage. I got really sick of my own voice um, doing it, uh, you know, saying the same things time and time and again, and it not really, you know, making, making that much a difference. But, but one of the positive things with the Kassan stuff is, you know, there's loads of anti-drug messages at that, you know, at, at, at there, which is, which is good. And, you, you know, you it's want to believe it's all true. Yeah. It, it, and it is all about the education, education, I think one thing. Sorry, I know I'm just rambling a little bit. No, no, you're not. Especially, you're not. especially the, early in the lockdown last year, mm. the amount of phone calls I was getting from people who were drinking at home, it, it, it increased. The families, um, people who were used to being taking taking cocaine on a weekend, you know, started taking it at home, uh, and you know, I got to a point where it was, you know, I had to just stop and. Uh, 
you know, there were people who were going to people's houses to trying to save these people. You know, I ain't going to mention names, but they're very well known people, very well known people that I was, you know, that I've that I've you know had some involvement in, and I just thought this is just getting this is just getting worse, and um, now you're getting um, the average age of people coming into treatment is around about the forties. It's thirty nine for alcohol. Mm. Uh, sorry, for I believe that. I believe that. But for drugs. And, you know, at that time, they got the disposable income. They're not spending the petrol money. So uh, all of a sudden, that's getting spent three or four times. No need to spend it in the club. Yeah. No need to and then, anybody. That's it. And so people self-medicating of, uh, you know, drinking more, taking some, taking, um, you know, illegal substances. So I kind of lost my train of thought in that one. But it was like the, the education side of it is is massive. But... The education only works if people want to listen. And I think that's the difference of you could take a horse to water, you can't make it drink. But Ricky, I'm gonna share something with you now. We're gonna try and make him thirsty. Right. I'm 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 gonna tell share something with you now. When I first started off on social media, I was just like that and I was thinking, right, why are some people reacting to some things and not reacting to some things? I'd put something funny on. And I'd get like 200 likes and I put something serious on five likes. And I'm like, what's going on here? We've all been through that. But then you've got to realize that you can have your different topics are for different audiences. Yeah. So different things go on different places at different times to different crowds. And some of your tweets aren't going to be as popular as your other tweets. Yeah, of course, of course. Because some people just go onto social media for a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I think TikTok is brilliant for that. Yeah. So if you want to sit there and waste three hours of your time listening to Bagwast or looking at <laughs> stupidity, TikTok is brilliant for that. Yeah. Yeah. I use my Instagram to put my pearls of wisdom on there. So my quotes, my sayings, and I put that on there, my thoughts on there. My Facebook I use for my personal feelings. And my YouTube I use for my funny videos. So that's yeah. different crowds of catered for different people. And that's how it's just got to be. And you've got to realize that all of your audience isn't going to appreciate all of what you say. Your audience only connects with you mostly for part of what you say. There's very rare people out there who will believe in everything you say. And that's yeah. okay. And yeah. that's okay. So, but that, that doesn't mean your message is wrong. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't mean your message is wrong. And that, so your message is right. You just haven't got the right set of people listening to you. Or you're just not telling it to the right people. Yeah. yeah? Of course, of course. It's like me telling Eskimos that putting ice in their drink is a good idea. Makes it look at me like weird. Yeah, if I go to the Caribbean and give it the same message, I've got a massive audience who are going to say, Yeah, right, what it is. So it's it's all about getting the right product to the right people, to the right audience. And that's something that comes with time. That's something that you know has taken me a long time to learn. You're you're 100% right, 100% right. I think it's you know, when you when you break it down into that analogy, it it, it, it makes sense. I was just a I think, you know, even for this, I just got to a point where I was like, you know something, I, social, I don't really care. I just want to, I want to interview people who interest me. And I just always wanted yeah. to ask those questions. You know, you never get the, I always wanted to ask certain questions from people and get the answer. So I don't care if it's one person watches this or, you know, a hundred. It, it's, this is for me, it's kind of cathartic for me. And, you know, like yourself, what you've, you know, the wide range of stuff that we've talked about, you could see you're just you're not in just one category. You, you you people are just more than their social media accounts. I think that's course, that's the point. And unfortunately, 
people think they read a tweet about you or they watch a video about it and they think they know you yeah when they don't without making an effort and i make the same mistake i've made mm. the same mistake before but as i've become more older i reckon i've become more tolerant of that and a bit more understanding i've got a lot more empathy for people i didn't used to have and like i said these are the sort of things that i'm saying that you know i look back on i change about myself and i wish i'd changed earlier but all that happens in time and experience is about growth we're growing and um you know it's i could look at you ricky and say mm. like what i say the ricky of 20 years ago is not the ricky of now no idiot right right, right. so you look at your journey <laughs> and, I, and you look at your growth and do I be your opinion? Yeah, you know what? I have grown. It's just about analysing it. And it's nothing, you know, do what you want to, mate. Your social media is your own space to say what you want and do what you want. Yeah? And use your voice in whatever way you think it feels. Whether you think there's one person listening, whether you think there's a million people listening. Mm. And, that's, and, you, and you need to do that. You're right. It is therapeutic. And this is therapeutic. Because all of this, what we've ch- talked about today, mm-hmm. was inside us. Mm. And now it's out. Yeah? And when we go to sleep tonight, that burden is going to be off our shoulders. And I'll have a good need tonight. One, because I've been up since six o'clock. Because I've been a <laughs> yeah. burning woman back. Two, I've travelled four hours. Yeah? Maybe it will day bus for you. I know. But, I could see. I'm going to. Yeah, we're going to call it. We'll call it. A, but, um... but, but, but three, because I've managed to unburden myself. And God knows how many months this stuff has been inside me. And mm. I've needed, wanted to get it out. Mm. And I've done it just like I got that stuff out when I'm my video at the hospital. Today, I've got my stuff out via your video. So yeah. you've helped me. I'm burdened myself. And I can't thank you enough for that. And I'll no, tell no, you, cheers, mate. Matt Matt, I've managed to, you know, I've said a lot of things that I wanted to. And probably to myself. And I'll watch this and I'll listen it, listen to it myself. And I'll realise, yeah, you know what? That's a good interview. And... Likewise, when I interview you, and I'm sure I will many times in the future, mm. because we've got lots to talk about, because mm. the new show that we do, the Recognised yeah. One show on that, that's proven to be a big hit. And, you know, we did the Kassans in Need. And that was like above all of my expectations. I wasn't even expecting that. So the response to that, plus all the various other stuff that I do, our paths will cross because you've yeah. got good information to give, Ricky. But, yeah. We'll make sure it gets to the right audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the key. That's the key. So, in terms of the, even so, the bandwagon is coming coming to a halt. Is there anything in terms of Hajar, what the that you that you feel that you need to have a have, to get off your chest even more? But um, if not, then what does the next sort of six months look like for you? Uh, for me, the one thing I'd like to just tell people is right. We're so worried about what this world wants us to be, yeah, that we stop being ourselves. Yeah? And the hardest thing to be is to be yourself in a world where it's trying to make you into something else. So please be yourself. Please be yourself out there. That's what I, I just want to say. Be real. Keep it real. Yeah. Try and educate yourselves. Yeah. Try and help each other. But if you can't, then don't upset each other or create put paths, you know, block each other's paths. That's what I would say. And if you don't like it, something, don't read it, don't listen to it, don't watch it, don't follow it. It's quite simple, yeah? And so I would say that the next six months for me, God, involves um, the Recognise One show, which we do. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, I'm now on BBC Radio 5. I do a show with Nihal every month where we talk about immigration issues on a mainstream 
radio station as Radio 5, mate. And I started off from Radio Nangana. On a 28-day license, license with my first radio was in a Raj Gun. Woo! Right. So um, you know, for me, that that is a it's a big journey. You know, I'm on mainstream TV. I've got two films ready to be filmed this year. One's ready to be released with Jimmy Shagel. Mate, mm. I what grew up watching Bollywood films, yeah? And now I'm in Punjabi films. For me, that's a big journey in itself. Like I, someone like me, who's not even confident of my looks or whatever, or my talent. I'm not an actor. I'm not a singer. I'm not a TV host. But you know, somewhere down the line, I've grown and I've decided to believe in myself. And all of that has come with confidence and changes that I've made. If you're not happy with yourself, make the changes. You're not going to get that happiness sitting on your backside, doing nothing about it, moaning about it every day. It's very easy to say, make the changes. It's hard to do. I know. I still once a week F up, twice a week F up. Today, I had a portion of chips from a chippy just before I got on here. Yeah? yeah. And sausage. And that's, and that's killing me now. So now I'm going to fast. <laughs> Why, I you better watch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, like, that, that's, that's like doing me in and like, oh man, I can't eat it, I can't eat it. And I was like, I'll eat it, I'll eat it. But tomorrow's a, tomorrow's a new chance to do it. Tomorrow's my fasting day. So I'll fast all the way to about three or four. Then I'll know, Tigia, at least I've got that out of the system. I'll go for a walk despite it being cold or whatever. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll try and make the changes that I can. But for me, yeah, Hindi films, um, TV show, radio show, um, spending time with my family. Do you know what? Getting back to hosting events. I love hosting events. I love interacting with people. The most thing I've missed is seeing people. Mm. So there was a time when I used to go to like concerts or events and people used to hug me and I used to think, yes, I did your very young day. What's the matter? Now, I haven't had a job for over a year. I feel like standing in the middle of my road and shouting, <laughs> you got to be careful because if you start asking that, people are going to turn up with their files. Yeah, that's right. And in the toilet. And imagine everyone buying a jappi. <laughs> okay. So on that char- on that charming uh, picture, um, Ajap, it's been a pleasure. I really, uh, really enjoy this chat, man. And uh, I know, we, um, like you said, our paths will cross again soon. So um, I'd like to thank you and I really appreciate this. And um, Thank you. I'm honoured to be your first guest. I'm really honoured to be your first guest. And, you know, I'm glad that, you give me that much respect for me. That's that, that's a total respect. Cheers, mate. All the best. All the best. And say everyone's mum and dad, hi. <laughs> <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.